the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Up until last summer, we had a cat named Gutta. He showed up at the place, and he was kind of wild, kind of startle reflex. And finally, I tamed him down enough we could pet him and so forth. Then he really liked it. He, he would, uh, in fact, flop down in front of you at any time to get his belly scratched or to be petted and so forth. And the, the downside of that was uh, he flopped down in front of me one time when I wasn't very careful, and I stepped on him. And then he came right away, though. He came and, and started rubbing on my leg back and forth. It was almost as if he was saying to me, Cal, I know you didn't mean that, and I forgive you. It's, it's, it's okay. And I think sometimes our pets are a little more forgiving about things like that maybe than we are. It reminds me of a, a book that Bill Gaither told us about at a prayer breakfast a few years ago. The book was entitled, Lord, Help Me to Be the Person My Dog Thinks I Am. <laughs> they look at you with that trust and that, that confidence and that forgiveness. And that's great. Our second lesson for today from 1 John is about, about that. It's how does God see us in some ways like our pets do, that he sees us with the eyes of forgiveness and understanding, and that even when we step on him from time to time, he's always ready to say, I, I know you didn't really mean that, and it's okay. It starts out to be a little bit of a daunting section because it says, anyone who abides in him does not sin, and whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Well, that doesn't sound good because I have sinned, and I still do sin, and I most assuredly probably will sin on into the future. So what does that mean? I, I don't make it? I'm not part of the kingdom of God? That's it? Or that we, we're only sinners until we believe in Christ, and then we don't sin anymore? Or we shouldn't tell anybody when we sin because they'll think, what does that all mean? I think it's, uh, I think John, who was the old man, old man John, the only one who lived, who survived to, to old age of the disciples, I think he has something to offer us. And that is, we have to look at faith as not being a question of knowledge. Like, how much do I know about the Bible? Or how much do I even know about God, for that matter? It's not about knowledge. It's about relationship. There are people who know all kinds of things about the Bible, and yet they have no relationship with the Lord. And so it's not that. Nor is it that I have to be perfect in my behavior so that God can like me. Uh, that's not true either. Um, I was thinking about this uh, when I was thinking back to some hospital visits that I've made. And I can't tell you how many hospital rooms I've been in where uh, the person is lying on the bed dying and I talk to the family and I say, does your, your dad or your grandma or whoever it is, they have a, do they have a, any church home or a pastor or anything that I should be notifying? And they say, well, no, you know, Dad never, uh, never was, he never went to church and he was not religious. But he's been a really good guy and I'm sure he'll be in heaven. And I always think, that's what you want to rely on? He's been a really good guy? That's your assurance? I don't think so. So it's not how much we know about God which could be dead, sterile knowledge. Like I could say, I know a lot of things about Andrew Luck. Now, that's fine. D but could I say, I know Andrew Luck? That's a little different, isn't it? That would mean I had talked to him, had been through some things, had some experiences together, gave him a few tips on throwing the ball, you know, stuff like that. 
I don't have that. I know things about him. I don't know him. And my perfect behavior, I don't think that's going to cut it either. But John gives us a clue when he says, See what love the Father has given us, that he calls us children of God. And that is what we are. John is saying that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us for all the things that we don't do and should have or the bad things. He sees us as he sees his own genetic son, that we are adopted sons and daughters. He sees us with the kind of love and understanding and forgiveness that he has there. It's kind of like, um, well, when you watch your kids or your grandkids or even great-grandkids, and you watch them do stuff like they're singing or playing an instrument or they're playing basketball or soccer or something like that. You tend not to notice any bad notes that they hit. You tend not to say, oh, he missed that play, that, oh, he screwed that up. You, you, just, you just are happy that they're out there doing stuff and, and you like, like we used to watch uh, our oldest grandson, Caleb, when he was younger, played soccer. And uh, we, we knew that in terms of soccer proficiency, Caleb, by far, had the best smile on the team. <laughs> That's what we noticed. <laughs> we saw him through the eyes of, he is ours and we love him and whatever he does. That's why in the Lutheran church, you, can, you know, whenever you have the children's Christmas program, uh, people love that. They love to see children get up there. And they don't have to have their parts memorized perfectly. And they don't have to sing on pitch. They can stand up there and fidget, pull their dress over their heads and pick their nose and get wild applause from Lutherans who have a tough time with wild applause anyway. But they can do that because we look at them through the eyes of love and acceptance and we know that they are ours. We love them. Why? Because they are ours. And that's the way God looks at us. He looks at us as we are his children. We are his children, he, John said, and that, that's what we are. And so God always sees us in that way. One of the things I remember, I've talked about this in the Chemical Dependency Lecture Series, my mother grew up in dysfunction. And that was pretty tough in many ways for her alcoholic father, backward mother. But um, one of the things it did do for her is that it made her the champion of the underdog always. There was nobody going to be lonely if my mother was around. There was nobody going to be left behind in the classes that she taught in high school. She taught health occupations for 10 years. And she used to invite me as a guest speaker, and I got to see what they were doing. I couldn't believe it. She got these kids in high school to do stuff. I never had to do this much in any college course I ever took. I was, How does she get them to do this stuff? And I figured it out finally. The way she got them to do it was because they began to see themselves through her eyes. She saw them as smart and competent and successful. She saw them that way. And they began to see themselves in the same way. And then they were striving to meet her expectations. Not because they were afraid, but because they wanted to live up to how she saw them. That's where we are with God. Not because we're scared. We want to live up to how God sees us as children of God. Another example, uh, and I felt that way with my mom too. It, my dad was the same sort of thing. Um, 
we would go outside and work in the winter. It was pretty cold up there. When I was little, um, <laughs> my mother would get worried about me, and after we'd, we'd come in after a long period of working outside, and she would say, oh, I was getting worried about you. You're such a little guy out there. I thought maybe you'd come in early and warm up. And my dad said, nope. He stuck it out to the bitter end. <laughs> and, and I went, yep. Stuck it out to the bitter end. And, you know, I'd have let my feet freeze off before I'd have quit just to hear he stuck it out to the bitter end. I didn't always do what was right. I don't want you to think that. I had my moments. But I never liked the way it felt when I did because I knew that my parents didn't let me down and then when I let them down, it really didn't feel very good. That's why I generally behaved. Not because I was scared. I never had one spanking in my entire life. I was never yelled at once in my entire life. I did it because I didn't want to lose that good relationship that I had. It was important to me. I didn't want to hear my father looking in my face, talking calmly to me and saying these words. Cal? I'm pretty disappointed in you. <laughs> I'd rather been beat with a board than to hear that phrase. And that's why I did things. I wanted to live up to the way they saw me. And that's why we do things according to God's will and God's way. Not because we're scared or, well, it could go to hell. You know. it, it's because we want, we want to live up to the way He sees us. He sees us as valuable, as lovable, as smart, as capable, and as children of His. We want to live up to that. Christians seem to have so little lack of assurance, and I wonder why. You know, I talk to people say, well, I hope I go to heaven. I hope I'm going up and not down. I think I'm going to be all right. And I'm like, you are a confessing, worshiping, baptized child of God. Where is all this lack of assurance coming from? Don't you know who you are and how God sees you? Come on. Live up to the way God sees you. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.